Romans tonight, Romans chapter 1, if you would please. Book of Romans and Romans chapter 1. It's good to see each of you here tonight, and I appreciate the fact that you've come out. Uh, to me, this is a chilly Monday evening. I don't know about you folks, I see some folks around town walking around with their short sleeves on, and I'm thinking, good gravy, how thick is your blood up here, all right? Mine, mine is southern blood, it's very thin, all right? And uh, so, anyhow, we're glad you're here, and I appreciate each of you being here with us tonight. Uh, anybody here for the first time this evening? Anybody first-timers? All right, I'll hold hats then. Good, all right, very good. Romans chapter 1, if you would please, Romans chapter 1. Tonight we're dealing with the existence of God. The title of the message is The God Who Is. The God Who Is, Understanding the Reality and Existence of God. So that's what we're going to think about. We believe that God is, don't we? And we're going to think about His reality. We're going to think about His existence. And uh, how can we address this with the skeptics of our world today, the, even the atheists of our world today, who say that God is not real? If you've got your Bibles open, you're physically able to do so. Stand with me while we read a few uh, verses here in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The Bible says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, or ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Notice the next expression. So they are without what? Excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Well, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being here with your people tonight, and Lord, they've come to hear from you and receive your word. And Lord, to be better equipped to be able to talk to people that they are running into and rub shoulders with in the world that we're living in today. And Father, I pray that the things that we will say tonight, the things that we will cover, will be a help to them. We'll better equip them, Lord, to know how to approach a conversation with an atheist or an agnostic or a skeptic or someone, Lord, that may just be wondering about whether you really are real and haven't really taken a definite position on that. And so, Lord, we look to you and pray that you would uh, lead and guide and direct in this service. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill me with your spirit and help me to say exactly what you want to be said and help me to say it in great clarity and simplicity here this evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I don't know how many of you are really observant. But if you've been observant over the last 10 years here in America, you've come to realize that the atheists in our nation have become more outspoken and aggressive in promoting their view that God does not exist. I'm talking about going to the extent of of, uh, renting billboards. Uh, About six years ago, my wife and I were celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. And so I wanted to do something special uh, with my wife on our 40th anniversary. And 
And so I had taken my tires to be rotated. And while I was sitting there for my tires to get rotated, I was looking at one of these magazines, and, and uh, they were talking about the Oregon coast. And they were describing the Oregon coast and different places on it. And I was reading that, and I got intrigued with the Oregon coast and said, you know, that would be a good place to take my wife for our 40th anniversary. So we went to Oregon. Had never been to Oregon before in our lives. We went to Oregon. We went to the Oregon coast. And uh, when we flew into Portland, Oregon, uh, we got our first athe- uh, fill of atheistic billboards. My name is such and such. I work for such and such corporation, and I'm an atheist. And you go down the road, and there's another billboard. My name is such and such. I teach at such and such school, and I'm an atheist. And so it became very evident that uh, uh, there was a great deal of unbelief in Portland, Oregon. And they were not timid about expressing themselves as atheists. And what they were trying to do was trying to portray it as being something respectable, if you would please. And it's okay if you want to deny the existence of God. Not only have they gone to putting up billboards, they've used city buses. You know how they advertise on city buses. And uh, uh, media attracting events. Uh, They even uh, build atheist monuments now. There's one down in uh, Bradford County in Florida at the courthouse. The atheists have built the monument in honor of the fact that there is no God. Now, if you listen carefully to the atheist, you'll learn that they like to say there are no gods. But since we're monotheistic, you know what that means? We only believe in one God. He's manifested in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but not three gods, just one God. So since we are monotheistic and only believe in one God, I'm going to speak of God in the singular sense, not in the plural sense, if you would please. Taking this whole issue of the atheist becoming more outspoken a step further, if I could please, uh, they prove either the existence of God at all. Uh, they think like this. They say something on the order of, God is a spirit. We would agree with that. Because the Bible says God is a what? Spirit. Can you see a spirit? No. Has anyone ever seen a spirit? And since God, you say, is a spirit, and no one can see a spirit, and no one has ever seen a spirit, then you cannot prove the existence of God. Well, there are a lot of things that we can't see that are still real. For example, I've never seen electricity, but it is real. Remember yesterday we were talking about sticking our finger in the socket? That's not a good thing to do. A few weeks ago, I was um, installing an electrical outlet at my house, and, um, and I thought I'd turn the breaker off. Well, I had. I turned it off, and then I turned it back on, not realizing that I had not turned it back off, 
I began to work on this outlet until I realized there's something in there. I didn't see it, but I sure felt it. There's a lot of things we don't see, and just because we can't see something doesn't mean it's not, not real. The problem is that the atheist is relying totally upon reasoning or rationale. And here tonight I want to say something that I want you to get. This is one of the most important things I'm going to say all night long. And that is, is this. We cannot prove the existence of God on the basis of reasoning and rationale. That's not how you prove the existence of God. Look over, if you would please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hold your place in Romans. We're going to come back there. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice if you would please. Now that may be a surprise to some of you because we, Pastor Lang has been advertising this conference as an apologetic conference. Well, what is apologetics? It's a reason defense for your faith. And now you're saying you can't prove the existence of God on the basis of reason. And that's true, you can't. Notice, if you would please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. It says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by, the world by what? Wisdom knew not God. Do we come to know God by wisdom? The answer is no. We come to know God by revelation. By revelation. Get this down, please. This is a very important point. We do not come to know God by reason. We come to know God by revelation. Now, that doesn't mean that we do not reason with the atheist. It does not mean that we do not reason with the agnostic. That does not mean that we do not reason with the, with the skeptic. We reason with all those people. But we're not resting upon reason alone. We rest on the basis of revelation. And how do we prove the existence of God? We prove the existence of God on the basis of revelation. And so we reason with them not on the basis of rationale or human wisdom or human reasoning, We reason with them on the basis of God's revelation of himself. That's what Romans chapter 1 is talking about. Go back there, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 1. Take your Bibles. And as we come to Romans chapter 1, notice down in verses 19 and 20 once again. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him. There are a lot of invisible things about God, are there not? And the Bible says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly what? Seen. So God reveals himself through creation, if you would please. The revelation of God, the existence of God. How do we know that God exists? Well, one way we know that He exists is that He revealed Himself through the creation of the world. And the Bible says those invisible things of God through the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so the Scripture says, so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. So as we think about 
the existence of God here tonight. We think about the fact that God is an eternal, all-powerful, almighty creator God. And God is giving us some revelation. And tonight we're going to talk about that revelation in two forms. First of all, we're going to think about God's revelation of himself from without. And when we say from without, we're talking about around us. Not inside of us, around us. From without, through creation. God is saying, I am. I do exist. I am real. And then we're going to think about revelation from within. Because God has put some revelation within every individual on the face of the earth that communicates his reality, that he does exist. So we're going to look at it from this, uh, those two perspectives, if you would please. Because the Bible is very clear that from the creation of the world, in verse 20, once again, from the creation of the world, those things that cannot be seen of God, they're clearly seen. They're understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. So as we think about God's revelation from without, we think about creation, we're going to think about two things about creation that reveal God's existence. First of all, creation itself demands a creator. There's a law in nature. It's the the law of cause and effect. Uh, One day I was uh, driving to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. This was many, many years ago. I was driving to Charlotte, North Carolina uh, from where I live in Irmo, which is uh, near Columbia, the capital city of South Carolina. If If you can picture the state of South Carolina, right in the middle of the state, that's where we live. And it's about an hour and a half drive up to Charlotte. And I was driving up to Charlotte uh, one day, wasn't thinking much about it. And, uh, and as I'm driving up Interstate 77, all of a sudden I come to a, a place where on the left-hand side of the interstate, all the trees are laying down flat like toothpicks. And on the other side of the interstate, all the trees are laying down like toothpicks. And it's about a half-mile wide swath of all of a sudden, these trees are all lying over. And as those trees were all lying over, and I'm just coming up the interstate, not really thinking much about what's going on other than driving up the interstate, all of a sudden I see this, and I say to myself, what happened here? Wouldn't you? Now in South Carolina, we have, we have all kinds of pine trees. So, you know, you're riding along the interstate, what do you see? Pine trees, 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 you know? Southern yellow, yellow pine. We grow them, all right? South Carolina can grow those pine trees. And so all these pine trees all over the place, so it's common to see that. But then all of a sudden you're driving along and, you know, the pine trees are... And everybody in their right mind says, what happened here? There, there was an effect, wasn't there? So you ask the question, what? What caused it? And in this particular case, it was a tornado. Tornado had come through a couple of days before I took the journey and had wiped out the pine trees. I mean, you know, just took them right over. And you had a clear swath that you could see uh, through both sides, uh, on both sides of the interstate. Well, when we look around at the universe in which we live here, we, we have an effect. There's a solar system out there. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? 
all the orbiting planets and things. And, you know, to me, it's, you know, if I had to do that, everything would be bumping into everything. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't ask me to engineer the universe. Because you ask me to engineer the universe, we're in trouble, okay? Everything's going to be hitting, running, everything, but not the universe that we live in. You look at the stars at night, the sky. You look at the beauty of creation that God has, has made. And what does it say to us? There's a creator. You see, creation demands a creator. And God says, my creation is a revelation of the fact that I am, that I exist. My mighty power and my Godhead is seen through creation. Now, for those of us who are Bible believers, we understand the Bible teaches that very clearly, don't we? Genesis 1.1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That word created in the Hebrew means that he brought into existence that which never existed before. We can't create like God creates. If we create something, we create it out of something that already existed. When God created something, He created out of something that did not exist. And the Bible says that God created it by His mighty power. And the Bible is very, very clear about God being the creator of this universe. Take your Bibles and uh, let's look at some verses. Just mark your place in Romans. We'll come back to Romans in a little bit. But go with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, if you would please. Isaiah chapter 42. And in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 42, look down with me in verse 5. Isaiah chapter 42, we'll just look at a few verses here in the Old Testament. We'll look at some in the New Testament, just proclaiming the fact that God is creator. In Isaiah chapter 42, notice verse 5. By the way, we're no, uh, in no way or shape or form exhausting the verses that we could see in the Bible proclaiming God as creator. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5, Thus saith, the Lord, uh, uh, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it and spirit to them that walk therein. So the Bible here is proclaiming God the Lord Jehovah as the creator of the heavens. Look over in Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah chapter 45. Look down in verse 12, if you would please. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 12. Notice what God says here. He says, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. Then look down in verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created, he created the what? Verse 18, he created the what? The heavens. God himself that formed the what? Earth. And made it. He established it. He created it, not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. Aren't we glad? Aren't we glad God made the earth to be inhabited? Because that's where we're living. We are the inhabitants of that which He created to be inhabited. He made a beautiful place for us to live on, didn't He? The earth. And notice it says, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is none, none else. So the Bible's clear in the Old Testament. That God is creator, it's clear in the New Testament. Take your Bibles and look over in John's Gospel. John chapter 1, if you would please. The Gospel of John, in John chapter 1. God is the creator 
of heaven and earth. He's creator of all things. And in John chapter 1, in verse 1, the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. Let me let you get there. I can get ahead of you real quick. John chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what it says. In the beginning was the Word. What's unusual about that word, Word? It's capitalized. It's talking about a person, place, or thing, isn't it? In this particular case, it's talking about a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Notice verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So the Bible's crediting Jesus of having made all things. By the way, all three persons of the Godhead, as you study creation in the Word of God, are all credited in some way, form, or fashion with creation. They were all involved, if you would please, you know, in the creation of this world. Look over, if you would please, in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The book of Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. And in Colossians chapter 1, look with me if you would please. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, the scripture says this, For by Him, referring to Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Notice what it says. All things were what? Created by Him and what? For Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. It's interesting. He was before all things. Do you realize if there had ever been a time when there had been nothing, we'd have nothing today? You can't get something from nothing. We have to have something that's been eternal. Do you either believe in the existence of an eternal God who began it all, or you believe in the existence of eternal matter that somehow unknown to man, turned into everything that we have today. Makes more sense to believe in the eternal God, doesn't it? Who's got all power. And I'm just saying that God is known not by reason. God is known by revelation. So when you begin to talk to someone that's doubting the existence of God, or even denying the existence of God, you turn to the revelation of creation. You begin to ask, well, where did all this stuff come from? Where did the solar system come from? Where did the earth come from? How did the mountains get here? And you begin to talk about God's revelation of creation. Because you have to have an answer for that. How did it get here? It, it, it did not come about by itself. Now, some of you, my wife would say, bless your heart. Some of you bless your heart, came straight from work, and you haven't had supper. And I hate to use this illustration, but I'm going to use it anyhow. If you went home tonight, 
And there on your dining room table, you walked into your house after the service tonight, and you saw this fabulous meal sitting on the dining room table. There was this salad that was there. Oh, it was a beautiful salad. Had all kinds of stuff in it. And you're thinking, wow, man, I hadn't seen a salad like that in 15 years. Good night. And beside that salad, there's this plate of steaming hot lasagna. Ooh, my. Mm, mm, mm. My. Garlic bread. Steamed broccoli. Sitting there on the plate. It's waiting for you. Steam is rolling off this stuff. Man, you're putting calories on just looking at it. Your tongue's about to swing so fast in your, your, your mouth, it's going to knock your brains out. You're thinking, man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Wow! And you look over on the counter, and there's a dessert. Man, you have never seen a dessert like that in all your life. It is a beautiful dessert. And you're thinking it's going to taste better than it looks. You know, it's got to be chocolate of some sort, doesn't it? Isn't that right, folks? Right? Got to be chocolate of some sorts. And, and you're saying, Ooh, oh, thank you, Lord. You wouldn't be saying, thank you, Lord. You'd be thinking, who did this? Where did it come from? Why did God establish the solar system the way he did? And put the stars in the sky at night? So the people would look up there and say, where'd that come from? Who did that? He was revealing himself to man. From without. Through his creation. Because creation demands a creator. Just like that meal. No one would think that meal got there by accident. That meal got there by itself. Everybody knows the meal, if it were there, did not get there by accident. And it did not get there by itself. You're going to help it to disappear. But it did not get there by itself. And it did not get there by accident. And neither did creation get there by itself. And neither did it get there by accident. Creation demands a creator. It goes back to the law of cause and effect. If you have an effect, there has to be a what? There has to be a cause. There has to be a cause. And God takes the whole of creation, and as he takes the whole of creation as a revelation of himself to man, he is proclaiming to the whole world, I did it. I did it. I did it. Look over in Psalm 19, if you would, please. Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, we want to look at the first verse in Psalm 19. Now, we're going to come back to Psalm 19 a little bit later on. So I don't know if you have something you can mark there as well. You've got your place in Romans. But Psalm 19, verse 1, if you would, please. In Psalm 19, verse 1, notice the Bible says this. In Psalm 19 and verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Does everybody have it? Do you see it? Psalm 19. Book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. Open your Bible in the middle. You hook the book of Psalms. And go with me to Psalm. In Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. 
When the Bible here in Psalm 19 refers to the heavens, it's talking about the sky above. The sky above declares the glory of God. And the firmament, when it talks about the firmament, it's talking about the expanse of the universe. So the skies above and the expanse of the universe, the Bible says, showeth his what? Handiwork. His handiwork. For some of you ladies, you're very handy at things. My mother used to uh, uh, sit in her chair and do this crocheting stuff. She made afghans. Is that how you say it? Afghan, whatever it is, okay. (laughs) She made the, yes, afghans. Did I say it right? Did I? Okay. All right, good. She'd make these afghans. And uh, I saw her this this, uh, right before we came here. And she's 91. And she's uh, got dementia. So when we walked in Saturday morning to uh, see her, she didn't even know who we were. She didn't know her son. She didn't know her daughter-in-law. She didn't know us. So we had to introduce ourselves. And she has one of the Afghans that she made on the back of the chair that she sits in. She's in assisted living. And so one of these come in that's, that's caring for her, and she said, this time she's lucid now, and she knows that I'm her son, this is my son over here. And uh, the lady said, well, it's nice to meet you. And she started, she started talking about my mom's Afghan. And she said, you know, th- this was a special Afghan. It's, it's got flowers arranged in order. And this lady was talking about it. She said, you know, I've never seen an Afghan that's any more beautiful than that. Yeah. And she's talking like that. How did it happen? It was my mom's handiwork. Now, it was made years ago when she had the ability to do that. But it was her handiwork. Some of you ladies are handy. And if we came to your home to visit and you would show us uh, around your home, we would see your handiwork. For some, it might be some paintings upon a wall that you've done. For some of you, it might be Afghans. For some of you, it might be pillows that you've made. For others, it might be flower arrangements because you're a good decorator and you know how to put those flowers all together. Don't ask me to do it. It's going to look like a pile of weeds, all right? But you walk around your house and you can see your what? You can see what you've done. And God says, look at my creation That's my handiwork. That's my handiwork. And so God reveals himself to us through creation. So creator, first of all, demands a creator. But secondly, dealing with the revelation of creation, design demands a designer. Design demands a designer. And that's one reason why I know I'm convinced that the universe did not come into existence through the Big Bang. The Big Bang is one of the most popular theories about the origin of the universe. Millions and millions of years ago, there was this big explosion that took place. This big bang that took place. If that's true, 
then our universe would not be the way it is today. You do not get design and order from explosions. I mean, just look at, look at devastation that takes place when there are wars. Where there are bombs being dropped. Those are big explosions, are they not? Our, our military just uh, not too long ago uh, destroyed a compound over in Syria. And for the first time, they released pictures for us to see. What did we see after they had bombed it? Devastation. Devastation. And they wanted to make sure that no one would ever go there and try to build a monument in honor of this guy. So they made it look like it had never been there, that compound. They wiped it off the face of the earth. Explosions don't cause design and order. Explosions cause chaos. Yet our universe is filled with design. It is filled with order. Look over at Jeremiah chapter 10, if you would please. In Jeremiah chapter 10. Now all these things are things that you share with people that are doubting the existence of God. Well, have you ever thought about the revelation of God that God has given of himself? And they look at you like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about, you know, the revelation of God's creation. And the law of cause and effect. You see a world out here, don't you? What caused it? How did it get here? I'm talking about design and order. In the universe, there's design and order. There's not chaos. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, notice if you would please, in verse 10, in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king, at his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom. And he hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. That word discretion means by his intelligence. Now some of you folks are a whole lot smarter than I am. Pastor Lang was sharing with me uh, the other day about a fellow here in the church that uh, works at uh, Vanderbilt. He has something to do with computers and programming computers and that kind of stuff. And I said to that gentleman, I said, man, you're smart. You're smart. And, you know, you go way over my head. Computers, I can turn it on. And sometimes I have a hard time turning it off. Have you learned your computers have minds of their own? Brother uh, Gary back here was talking to me, uh, I think it was last night, and he said, uh, he says, I work on cars. And he says, there are, uh, there are millions of parts to a car. And he says, if, if just one part isn't working, the car's not going to work. They all have to work in conjunction. 
man, he scared me half to death. I got a car and I want to get home in it. If just one part's not working, it's not going to work. Oh man, I'm in trouble. He was communicating great truth. A great truth. If you have design, you have a designer. Cars were designed. Put all those parts together, designed in a way that they will what? They'll all work, so your car will what? Work. Right? Design demands a designer. They hire people in Detroit to design all of that so that we don't have to worry about, are we going to make it home? God's the master designer. And as he, he, he designed it all by his discretion, his intelligence, do, do you realize that God put the earth exactly where it needs to be in the solar system for us to be able to live on it? Now, if the earth were positioned any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. And if it were positioned any further away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. God put it exactly in the solar system where it needed to be for man to live on it. Isn't that the beauty of God's wisdom and intellect and power? God's a great God. You talk about the complexity of an automobile and how that an automobile has to have all those parts and all those pieces working in harmony for it to be able to operate and go down the road. Have you ever thought about the complexity of the human body? The human body is a highly complex piece of, I don't know if I can call it machinery, creation. It is so intricately designed that it's all dependent upon the whole. In other words, what's it take for your body to operate as your body? Every bit of it. You couldn't start out with a little bit of this and then get a little bit later on a little bit more of something different and something different. No, it all had to be there at the very beginning. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 139 that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that design demands a designer. So when you begin to explain to a person that God is not known by reason, God is known by revelation, and we have to consider the revelation of creation, and you think about the revelation of creation from two perspectives. First of all, the law of cause and effect. Creation demands a creator. Secondly, design demands a designer. Well, who was that designer? Don't tell me the Big Bang. That doesn't produce design. takes intelligence. And that intelligence was none other than God himself. Now let's go back to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1, if you would please. We've thought about God's revelation of himself from without through the work of creation. Now let's think about God's revelation of himself from within. From within, if you would please. Through an inner, and I'm going to express it like this. Through an inner God awareness. And that's exactly how I'm going to put it. We have an inner God awareness. Notice how the Bible brings this out. 
In Romans chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest. Notice the next two words. What are they? In them. Where's it manifest? In them. So God's revelation of himself from without creation. God's revelation of himself from within an inner awareness of God's existence. And I'm just going to put it like this. In the heart of every individual that walked the face of the earth. Maybe I can express it like this, a God-awareness. A gnawing sense within the human heart that there must be a supreme being out there somewhere. It doesn't tell us who that God is. It just tells us that He is. Or we could put it like this. In John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, That was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So every person that is born on the face of the earth is given some amount of light from God, of the fact that God is. Revelation of himself from within, if you would please. Again, that doesn't tell us who that God is. It doesn't really tell us what that God is like. It just tells us that there is a supreme being, that there is a God. Now this is something that's interesting. Maybe you've never realized this before, but atheism is something that is taught and embraced. There is no such thing as a born atheist. The same way as there's no such thing as a born Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian because you are a born-again Christian. Right? There came a time in your life you realized you needed the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. By faith, you trusted Him and His sacrifice that He made on the cross of Calvary for your salvation, and you, began, you, you became born again of the Spirit of God. This idea that people sometimes say, well, I've always been a Christian, is just as false as false can be. That's just, that's just not true. You may have always been religious, even that's a stretch. How religious were you in your mother's womb? <laughs> How religious were you when you were two months old in diapers? You know what I'm saying? And the idea that I've always been an atheist is, is a falsehood. Atheism is a result of the suppression of the truth. Let me say that again. Atheism is a result of suppression of the truth. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That word hold in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 means to suppress. It means to hold down. Can I use this illustration? If I can do this safely. To watch what I'm doing. I'm getting older. You can suppress this cushion. You can hold it down. Correct? If you sit on this, is it going to suppress it? Yes. Lewis, you come up and help me on this. Because you can really suppress it. Come on, Lewis. Come on, man. 
He's my buddy. He's my friend. Okay. So I, I didn't. I didn't mean that in a negative way. He's just bigger than me. Okay. Sit on that thing. Everybody hear the air went out of that thing? Lewis, can you feel the bottom of that chair? The wood? No. No? Need to gain a few more pounds. Well, maybe. Yeah. Lewis has that cushion really suppressed, doesn't he? Only because of his weight. Okay. And again, I'm not uh, picking on Lewis because of his weight. Okay. The illustration is he's holding down the cushion. He's suppressing the cushion. God has given man revelation of himself through creation, but also within. This is the light, the light of every man that cometh in the world. John chapter 1, verse 9. When a person becomes an atheist, did you hear the word? Becomes. He was not born an atheist. He was born with some light. He was born with an awareness within that there's got to be a supreme being, a supreme creator out there somehow, somewhere. Okay? But he begins to walk away from that light that God has given him. And he begins to reject that truth. So what happens to the truth? It gets suppressed. It gets suppressed. It can get so suppressed that he walks away in total rejection of it. He's ignoring the revelation that God put within himself. Thank you, Lewis. You, do you have the illustration? You got it? You understand? Okay, good. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. He's a good sport, isn't he? Yeah. Now, not only does man have a God awareness within him, God has also given everyone a conscience. Look in Romans chapter 2, please. Romans chapter 2. And every man that's born on the face of the earth has a conscience. In Romans chapter 2, in verse 14, the Bible says this, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So what that verse is saying is that the Gentiles sometimes behave better than the Jews. The Jews had the law, but they're not behaving as good as the Gentiles. The Gentiles are behaving better than the Jews. And you say, why? Because the Jews had the law. And God goes on to say, because they had a conscience. Notice what He says. It says, which show, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their what? Hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. The conscience. Conscience. You just know when you did right. And you know when you did wrong. Not because you have a knowledge of thou shalt not or thou shalt. Because God put a conscience within you. 
Every individual has a conscience. Which shows him right from wrong. When he does right, he has peace and harmony within. When he does wrong, he has guilt and shame. Isn't that right? And wasn't that even true before you came to know Christ as Savior? Before you ever came to know Christ as your Savior, if you can remember your unsaved life. When you did right, you had peace and harmony. But when you did wrong, and you knew you did wrong, you had guilt and what? Shame. Because God has placed a conscience within the heart of every individual. Now the question is, where did that come from? And the answer is, God put it there. God put it within us so that we might grasp the idea and the thought that while we are free moral agents, God made us with the ability to choose. We can choose right, we can choose wrong. And while God made us that way as free moral agents, God also wanted us to grasp the idea that yet we are still accountable to Him. Still accountable to Him. Look over in Acts chapter 17, please. Acts chapter 17. And in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, look down in verse 24. Acts 17 and verse 24 is where we'll begin reading. In Acts chapter 17, it's talking about the Apostle Paul, and he's standing there at Mars Hills. Mars Hill, and remember these uh, people in Athens were given to idol worship. They had gods all over the place. They had idols all over the place. They even had an idol with the inscription, an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. Just in case we left somebody out, we don't want to. We don't want to mess up here. So we'll give this unknown God a little honor. And Paul speaks up, and he says in verse twenty-four, "God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." You guys are messed up. You don't understand. God doesn't dwell in these little images that you've got that's been made by hands. He doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Does God need anything? Seeing he giveth all, what does God do? What God do? He gave everyone life and breath and all things. And it made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And it determined the times before appointed and bounds their habitation. That they should seek the Lord. Why did God put conscience in man? So that we might seek the Lord. Why did he give the witness of creation? That we might seek the Lord. That we might come to know him. And fill him after him. And find him. Notice it says, though he be not far from every one of us. You know, God's not far from anybody. If they want him. If you want God, you can find God. God's not hard to get. Are you suppressing what God's given you? God gave you that not to suppress. God gave you that so you might seek Him. 
If you seek Him, you'll find Him. But if you don't want Him, He'll not force Himself upon you. But He does want you to know you will be judged. Notice it goes on to say this. For in Him, verse 28, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, haven't we been made in the image of God? We have, haven't we? We ought not to think that the God has likened to gold or silver or stone or graven uh, by art and man's devices. Why in the world you you thinking God's like all these idols, all these statues that you've made? Hey, you're made in the image of God. If you're made in the image of God, what makes you think God looks like that? The Bible says in the times of this ignorance God winked at with all men everywhere to what? Repent. You know the repentance he's calling them to? He's calling to a right view of God. Would you embrace the truth about God? Would you see God as a person? Would you see God as he really is? Notice verse 31, it says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. God's going to judge this world. And he's going to hold people accountable, even those who've suppressed the truth. And they're going to be without excuse, according to Romans chapter 1. Remember, atheism is something that is taught. No one is born an atheist. My wife and I had an interesting conversation. Oh four or five years ago now. We have a small Christian school at our church. Uh, by the way, some of you have asked me, am I still pastoring? I, I am not. I, I retired after 38 years of pastoring the same church two years ago. So I travel and preach as the Lord opens doors for me. And I'm still very much involved in our church back home, but I'm not the pastor, which means I don't deal with all the problems anymore. We have a small Christian school, and we have a way of attracting Chinese students. Don't ask me why. Chinese students, Chinese kids, their, their families are there because of the University of South Carolina. And Chinese people revere education. I should say they worship education. In our Christian school is, uh, is very well known because of the academics of our school. And so we ha- they have a tendency to want to put their kids in our school. Uh, we've got kids in our school right now that can't speak a, speak a word of English. And all of their instruction is in English. I don't have a slice idea what they're learning. <laughs> Hopefully they're learning some English. <laughs> But we had a a lady that was here uh, who was studying at the University of South Carolina earning her PhD. And she put her her child in our school. Now, typically the Chinese that we have are staying in America. But she was going back to China. And we invited her to come to a church service and to come over and have lunch with us. (gasps) 
You had an atheist in your house for lunch. We did. We were going to talk to her. She was going back to China. And we wanted to have a personal conversation with her about the Lord and about the existence of God and the reality of God and talking about some of the things that we're talking about here tonight with her. Very cordial conversation. Very polite. We didn't compromise the truth, but we spoke the truth. We spoke the truth in love. And as she was listening and as she was thinking, she's a very intelligent lady. She was thinking about the things that we were saying. She made a very insightful statement. She said, you know, from a young child, I have always been taught that there is no God. China's communist. They hate God. They teach their people that there is no God. They persecute those who do believe that there is a God. They persecute their own Chinese people. The church in China is underground. I share that with you just because I want you to understand. How did she become an atheist? She was taught to be an atheist. How do people in America become atheists? For one reason or another, they suppress the truth. They suppress the light. Some are taught to be atheists in our universities. And sometimes today, not even in our universities, sometimes in our public schools. They're being taught things that turn them into atheists at a young age. Going back to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see something else with me here, if you would, please. I want you to notice we've mentioned this and we've seen this, but I want to bring it out once again, if you would, please. In Romans chapter 1, at the end of verse 20, it lets us know that the revelation of God from without through creation and the revelation of God from within through that inner consciousness that God has placed in the heart of all men is so great that God is going to hold everyone accountable to him. Notice verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, the Bible says, so that they are without what? Excuse. You see, the real problem in accepting God's existence does not lie in man's knowledge. And it does not lie in man's intellect. It lies in man's will. Instead of responding to the light and saying, okay, I want to know that God, they're suppressing the light. They're walking away from it, if you would please. And God says they are without excuse. There's no one that's ever going to be able to stand before God and say, God, I never knew that you were real. I never knew that you were real. I never knew that you existed. God is going to point to his creation and say, I showed you. God's going to point to their conscience and say, I put it within you. You ignored the revelation. You are without excuse.
you're without excuse. You have suppressed the truth. Notice verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Inwardly, they have known that God exists out there somewhere. But they're not willing to glorify God as their creator, their maker. He becomes too smart for that. Because verse 22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Any man who proclaims to be wise by walking away from a knowledge of God is a fool. A fool in the Bible is someone who has shown the truth but casts it away. God has shown us the truth. Thus don't cast it away. Thus don't cast it away. And then verse 28 goes on to say this, the suppression of God and God's knowledge, it leads to reprobation. Notice verse 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And aren't we living in a culture today that's filled with reprobate minds? Twisted, distorted, perverted minds. And it's all a result of man walking away from God. When man rejects the revelation that God gives him of his existence, man becomes self-conceited over his self-styled knowledge. In turn, he plunges into ignorance and nonsense. Thinking himself wise, he has become a fool. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. There is no God. There's enough evidence around this entire world to prove to anyone who really wants it to know that there is a God. The God who is. So when you're dealing with someone, think about the revelation. Oh yes, you're going to reason with them on the basis of revelation. Not on the basis of reason. Let's go back to Psalm 19. We'll see a couple things here and we're almost done. Psalm 19, please. Psalm 19. And in Psalm 19, look with me once again. We've already seen Psalm 19 in verse 1, where the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Now, verse 2. Look at it, please. Verse 2 goes on to say this. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. You know what that verse is talking about? It's in connection with verse 1. The testimony that God has given of Himself through the sky above and the firmament of, of, of the universe, the expanse of the universe, day after day after day after day after day is uttering speech. Day after day after day after day it's saying, God is, God is, God is, God is. Not only during the day, but during the night. It's a testimony. It's a testimony that goes on every day. Every day. That God is real. That God is true. And in verse 3 it says, There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's no people group on the face of the earth. There's no language on the face of the earth where God, this testimony of God is not heard. It goes on day after day after day. It's all a testimony of the goodness of God, isn't it? It's a testimony of the mercy of God. And while we may have people who are willfully rejecting God's revelation of himself, it says volumes about God. 
He still cares. He's still reaching out. He's still speaking. He's still showing men his existence. Why? Because he wants them to know him. Do you know him? Do you know God? We know God through Jesus Christ, don't we? And in order to know God, there's four things we have to accept. We have to accept, first of all, that we're sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and sure the glory of God. We've all sinned against God. We've all broken God's laws, commandments. God says, thou shalt not lie. We've lied. God says, thou shalt not steal. We've, we've stolen. God says, honor your father and your mother. We've dishonored our parents, have we not? We've all broken God's laws and commands. And because we've broken God's laws and commands, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've come short of what it takes to get to heaven. Furthermore, to make matters worse, God says the penalty for sin is death. So not only must we accept the fact that we're sinners, we must accept the fact that the penalty for sin is death. If we got what we deserved, we would all die and be eternally separated from God for all of eternity. For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You want to be certain of going to heaven? Number three, accept the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin. He paid your sin debt in full, providing your way to heaven. And he, if you will come by faith to accept him, will take his righteousness and credit to your account. It's not our righteousness that gets us into heaven. It is a God-imputed righteousness that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. For he, God the Father, made him Christ his Son to be sin for us on the cross of Calvary, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's in Christ. So you want to know you're going to heaven? You want to know God? Accept the fact that you're a sinner. Accept the fact that sin's penalty is death and there's nothing you can do to pay for it. Only he could. Accept the fact that he did die and pay for your sin. That he is your way to heaven. And then number four, just by simple faith, take God at his word and believe on his son and you'll know him. For God so loved the... That's all of us, isn't it? That he gave his only begotten that whosoever believeth in him, put your trust in him. You should not perish, but you would have. Let me use this illustration to illustrate what I'm talking about real quickly. If I could let my left hand represent all of us here tonight and let my wallet represent sin, how many of us have sinned? We all have. I have, you have, we all have. I'm going to place the wallet on the hand representing the fact that we're all sinners. Remember, this hand represents you and I. And the wallet represents sin. In God's sight, we've sinned against God. And God says, as sinners, we deserve death. We deserve to die and be eternally separated from God in the everlasting lake of fire. But God doesn't want that to happen. Letting this hand represent Jesus Christ. He was God who took on flesh. He loves us, but he hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. But he loved you and I so much that he was willing to come to this earth and die on a cross and he took our sin off of us. He fully paid for it on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and rose again the third day proving that he has the power to bring us eternal life. And the Bible says, For God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, what? Believeth in him. Believing in him is not just believing about him. It is trusting in him. It is depending upon Him. It is coming to rely upon Him. God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I need to be saved from sin's penalty of death. Your Son, Jesus, can do that. 
I'm trusting Him to do that for me. In the very moment you trust Jesus to do that for you, the promise of the Word is you're not going to perish. But what do you have? You have everlasting life. That's what God wants for all of us. That's what God wants for the atheist. That's what God wants for the agnostic. That's why God has the witness going in this world that He has going in this world. Because God is a God who cares whether men do or not. He still cares. So, here tonight as I close, how does all of this that we've covered tonight help us to impact a secular culture for Christ? Because that's where we're at tonight as a church. All right? I'll show you a couple more verses and then we'll be done. Look over in Philippians chapter 2, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to say about three things, show you a couple verses, and then we're done here tonight. And then tomorrow night when we come back, we're going to think about the issue of origins. It's not a, it's not a message about creation versus evolution. It is a message about why it matters what we believe about where we came from. So we're going to deal with that tomorrow night. And I hope you'll be able to be here with us for that. But let's go back to this idea. How does what we've thought about here tonight help us to impact a secular culture for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, first of all, it helps us to realize that God is known by revelation, not by human reasoning. I hope you got that tonight. Has that not been the, the message that's been over and over and over and over and over and over like a broken record? Sometimes you just need to get stuck on a good groove, all right? Yes. How do we know God? Not by reason, by... We will reason with men, but not on the basis of reason. We're going to reason with them on the basis of revelation. So it will help us to impact a culture because we realize we've got to reason with them on the basis of not human reasoning, but on the basis of revelation, the revelation of creation, the revelation of design and order, the revelation of, of uh, the within knowledge of God, the fact that man possesses a conscience. Where did it come from? So number one, it helps us to realize that God is known by revelation, not by human reasoning. Number two, it helps us to realize that God's given us enough revelation that the whole world ought to believe on Him. God says they're without excuse. My revelation speaks day and the night and day and night and there's no language where it's not heard. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you live in Tennessee or if you live down in the jungles of South America. God's witness is testifying day after day after day after day after day. And then it really helps us to see that the real issue lies in the will of man. Just like my friend Lewis helped me to illustrate tonight. Men are suppressing the truth. They're holding it down. They're rejecting it. They don't want it. Now, church, let me just say one thing to you, and then we'll be done here tonight. No matter how dark our world is becoming, how anti-God it is, how rejecting of the Lord in the Bible it gets, God still expects Berean Baptist Church to be a light for him. Whether you see people saved or you don't see people saved. 
whether you see in people embracing the truth or not embracing the truth. God still expects you. You're the church, not these buildings. If these buildings burn down tomorrow, the church can still meet tomorrow night. Because the church is the people. And God expects you to shine your light. Notice in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. The Bible says that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a... What's the word? Crooked and what? Perverse nation. Apparently, the people at Philippi had a very rotten society as well. So God says, we're, to, we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He says, among whom you shine as what? Lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Now, I'm not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I just want to say, Berean Baptist Church, God has you here in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And God wants your light to shine. And may God help you to do just that. Our, our world may be getting more crooked and perverse by the day and moment. But let us not be shy. Let us not be timid. Let us not be intimidated. Let us shine our lights. Let the light shine. And may I remind you that light shines brightest in the context of the greatest darkness. So the darker our world becomes, the brighter our light is going to shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. Shine it. Shine it. Shine it. Shine it. It's the truth that shall set men free. Never forget it. It sets you free. It'll set others free as well. Father, we thank you.